Hello everyone! Welcome back to the Construction Approach to Animal Welfare and Training Podcast. We are your host, I am Masa. Hi everybody, and I'm Sean. We hope that you are cuddled up with your animal companions and ready for this exciting episode. About two weeks ago, from July 14th to 18th, we hosted the second annual Cow Conference. We welcome attendees from many different countries, including the United States, Japan, Canada, Australia, France, Germany, New Zealand, and many more. We had an amazing time with two of our mentors and keynote speakers, Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz and Dr. TV Joe Lane. It was a pleasure to enjoy the presentation and discussion with everyone who attended. And if you are not able to join us, that's okay. Registration for the video on demand will be available until September 30th at 11:59 p.m. And the videos will be available until October 31st at 11:59 p.m. So the earlier you register, the longer you can enjoy watching the videos. And lastly, we are offering $50 off of the video on demand registration for anyone who is currently working at animal shelter, animal hospital, zoo, or currently a student or teacher or professor at university. So please visit cout.com forward slash 2021 conference to register or click the link on the description below. All right, today is another amazing episode. We have a special guest joining us today to share with us some amazing work they do applying the constructional approach in zoological setting, Barbara Heinrich. Barbara Heinrich is an animal training consultant specializing in exotic animals. She consults worldwide working with zoos, universities, veterinary professionals, and conservation projects. She has worked on-site with over 80 facilities in 27 countries. She is an adjunct instructor at Texas A&M University. She has produced seven DVDs, authored two books, and contributed to four veterinary textbooks. She is a co-author of the Fear-Free Avian Certification course. Much of her work focuses on training exotic species to cooperate in medical care. She operates the online education program www.animaltrainingfundamentals.com. This virtual learning program features award-winning courses, tracks to guide professional development, verifiable badges to share and prove course completion, a community, and more. Barbara is an advisor for the Animal Training Working Group and the Parrot Taxon Advisory Group for the European Association of Zoos and Aquariums. She has provided her expertise to conservation projects, the Kakapo Recovery Program, and the Borneo Orangutan Survival Foundation. She has a Bachelor of Science in Zoology and is currently earning a master's degree in applied behavior analysis. Her goal is to leave behind a legacy of kindness to animals by sharing her expertise. So let's begin our episode, which is part one of two of the interview with Barbara Heinrich. Hi, Barbara, and uh, you know, thank you for making the time to you know come with us on our show today. Um, Happy. 
Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> be here. It's good to see you all again. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I'm sure that most of our audience out here um, is pretty familiar with you. But just in case, um, I just wanted to ask if um, you know you wouldn't mind sharing a story about uh, about what got you interested in to animal training and and what made animal welfare such an important topic for you. Well, like many people out there, I was always into animals, even as a little kid, was out there in the woods playing with animals all the time. And my parents were really supportive of my interest in animals. So I was very fortunate in that regard. And then when I got older, I pursued the path of working with animals and didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, did a lot of different animal jobs. But eventually I did get a job in a zoo and it was at that zoo that I was introduced to training and I just was hooked immediately. So that zoo was called Marine World Africa USA. It's now a Six Flags in Vallejo, California. And that's really where I went, training is the thing, man. You get to have this cool relationship with animals and they can, you know, gravitate towards you and want to interact with you. And that's really the thing that I was into was just that, wow, animals want to hang out with me (laughs) and I can make that happen. And so I was all about that. And and that's what really got, got me into training specifically was I just, I loved being around animals and I love that training created that situation in which they enjoyed your companionship as well. And so that was kind of my focus. Uh, and, and because I always liked being outside and being out in nature and being around animals, wildlife was a big thing too. So I was really more interested in that kind of situation where I got to work with not so much domestics, but more sort of the exotic species or wild species and, and, and trying to form those relationships. So that zoological field was more of interest to me. And, and so that always ties in with the conservation thing and how can you help animals in the wild and improve their, their welfare. And, and it just escalated from there. And and I, really narrowed in and focused on, on training specifically. And one of the things we really promote in uh, the zoo community is conservation and animal welfare. And so you're just embedded in that and, and animal training, as you guys know, is just really all about that. In my opinion, it's really about improving animal welfare and especially in the zoological community conservation success as well. So it's just all kind of mixed together. (laughs) You can't, you can't avoid it, which is good in my opinion. I love it. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your history. And because our conversation will be based on the constructional approach, I would like to ask what was your introduction to the constructional approach and what was it that made this approach so appealing to you? Oh, gosh. I, you know, the constructional approach, you know, for me, I was like many trainers. And I really want to tell this story because I think a lot of trainers need to hear this story. I was resistant, like so many trainers out there, because, um, you know, negative reinforcement. People were like, we've been told as trainers that negative reinforcement is bad and we should avoid it at all costs. And not that constructional approach means you have to use negative reinforcement. I think a lot of people misunderstand that constructional approach means you're just starting with, you know, what behavior might the animal give you. And, but in a lot of cases with constructional approach, we are looking at negative reinforcement contingencies just because we might see an animal showing an escape or avoidance behavior. And so that might be, you know, the contingency we're working with. And, um, and I have been like many trainers told that, well, that means we're looking at respondent behavior. Therefore, we're going to use 
um, counter conditioning and desensitization. That's the only way we're going to be able to reach this animal. And so that's what I had been taught for years, um, that that is the most uh, humane for another label (laughs) way to make a connection with this animal. And that negative reinforcement is really a coercive way and we should avoid this. And so anytime, you know, that I would hear the words negative reinforcement, it's sort of, you know, it, it created a respondent reaction in me, you know, that I would sort of be like, Whoa, you know, no, 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 bad, bad. Um, and, uh, and so I remember my first exposure was at an art and science of animal training conference and having a conversation with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz over beverages during one of those, you know, one of the like meet and greet opportunities before the conference really started. And, you know, Jesus was great in explaining why using counter conditioning really was more of a coercive approach. And, and, and I never really quite got that until recent years when I started really thinking about it more where, and, and I love this description he gives where he talks about, you're trying to give food to an animal and that animal wants the food, but let's say you're the aversive, say the human is the aversive stimulus. And and that animal is going, oh, I want your cookie, but I have to put up with you. And it's kind of reaching for it, but it's really doesn't want to put up with you. And you're kind of that, you know, in its face, trying to give it that thing. And, and to me, now I think of that stimulus picture. And I think that is really coercive. That animal is fighting its fear response to have to take that food item. And that is never the way I want to train an animal. I want an animal comfortable, looking comfortable and relaxed while it's taking a food item for me. That would be a non-coercive application of training or using positive reinforcement or if I were to call that counter conditioning. And the other really cool thing that um, Jesus pointed out recently in a podcast I did with him is that if it were calm and relaxed as I was giving it that, that food item, which is typically what trainers try to do, it probably isn't really even a counter conditioning procedure. It's probably a shaping procedure, which is what we're usually trying to do when trainers describe counter conditioning. They're trying to have animals calm and relaxed and they're trying to give that food item and then, you know, gradually, you know, increase criteria a little bit, get a little bit closer and the animals calm and relaxed and they give food. So it's really shaping as opposed to counter conditioning, which was another, you know, mind blowing experience (laughs) when he's explaining that. So, so that was really my first conversation with him and that, and it really got my wheels turning and I was like, Hmm, I need to rethink everything I've been taught. And it really took me a long time to reconsider all the years of being told negative reinforcements, bad, negative reinforcements, bad, negative reinforcements, bad to finally say, I'm going to try this. And I'm really fortunate in that as my own boss, you know, I can make my decisions as to what I'm going to do or not. And I had a, had a circumstance where I was at a zoo and we had these um, Somalian wild asses, which is, you know, think of like a, like a horse basically. And, um, and these animals were afraid of people and the strategy that the team had been using was, was not working very well. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to try it. And, uh, and, you know, and again, humans are the aversive stimulus. And so I set up my, my camera on a little, on a, like a concrete bench. And I just started 
applying it, you know, based on what I had observed at, at some workshop that I'd seen. And the crazy thing was within 45 minutes, two of the animals were approaching me and I was negatively reinforcing an approach by walking away and my mind was blown. And, and, and by the end of the session, I was feeding those two animals. Like I was able to transition to giving those two animals food. And I, I said, that's it. You know, I need to, I need to start trying this as much as I can. Those two animal reinforce what you did. And then it's, it's, yeah, they exactly. capture really well. Barbara, you did amazing. Here is we coming following you. <laughs> Very great. You know, and that to me also speaks to one of the really amazing components of the procedure. And that's that behavior change like doesn't have to take a really long time. There, there seems to be a lot of common, you know, thinking when it comes to behavior, especially like aggression and fear that it's such an intense behavior that it's going to take a really long time to fix. But that was something that Dr. Rosales Ruiz and Orca all the time used to say is that there's no law written down somewhere that says that behavior change has to take a long time to acquire. Ooh, I hadn't heard that before. I like that. I yeah. like that. Yeah. And I would say as a consultant, you know, I'm typically only on site for maybe three to five days at a time. And one of my things that I really do need is I need behavior change to occur pretty quickly. And I will say that in general, that typically does happen. Mm-hmm. And and because my clients need that as well, that like you're saying, you know, it was reinforcement for me. It's also reinforcement for my clients to see that these things work. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah, right. Exactly. That's right. And, it, and I got to imagine, too, for the staff, you know, that work with those animals every day, that once when they get to that point that they can now safely interact, that their jobs probably become much more enjoyable. And then the interactions between them and the animals probably get better and everyone's quality of life mm-hmm, gets improved. Mm-hmm. So uh, this, this, is, this gets to a very, very critical, I think, a topic of when we are selecting a procedure to apply for any given animal, what things do you consider the most as a, as a very important thing? Like right now we have a, a hierarchy that is promoted by animal training community to follow. But when you are having this pro- consultant being consulted with zoo to select procedure, what are the things that you look for? Yeah, that's a really good question because, um, you know, the constructional approach really was an important turning point for me because certainly I was aware of, of the hierarchy as well. And I think like a lot of people out there, or, or maybe not, maybe, maybe they're not having this struggle, but I was, um, you know, again, like I said, the, the constructional approach that I was using, um, a lot of times was because of situations in which animals were showing fear responses or aggressive behavior. So they were generally wanting an aversive stimulus to go away, right? Mm-hmm. So that means we're talking about um, a negative reinforcement contingency. And when you look at that that hierarchy, negative reinforcement is near to the end of the strategies to consider. So if I were to look at those animals that were telling me, hey, man, I want this aversive stimulus to go away. If, if I'm there at that zoo and I'm going to tell these people, well, OK, we're going to we're going to deal with this problem. And if I were to use that hierarchical approach, I would have had to gone through like five or six steps before I would 
be able to implement the constructional approach. And, um, but that wasn't what I was doing. Instead, I was, I was looking at what was going on. I was saying, okay, in this moment, this animal is saying, this is an aversive stimulus, please make it go away. Um, and what do I need to do to make that go away? And we try to, with the constructional approach, we try to create a situation in which the animal presents desired behavior under really easy conditions for that to happen. And then we remove that aversive stimulus. And, um, and so this created conflict for me because I was like, well, how, you know, how does this fit in this hierarchy? Because, you know, to me, it makes so much sense to use this really non-coercive application of negative reinforcement. Um, and it's so improving, you know, this animal's life and it's, it's great results. And it's, it's absolutely an, a benign application in my opinion. Um, and, and I, and really what happened is, uh, is really at art and science and animal training, um, we were having a discussion on one of the private day, uh, private days. And, um, and, and somebody mentioned that, you know, the hierarchy wasn't really how behavior analysts, um, uh, make decisions in terms of what procedures to use. And that was like a eye opening moment for me. I, it really, because I had believed this was because, you know, and, and, and I should preface this by saying I'm now in grad school getting my master's in behavior analysis. Um, but that moment was sort of a really like a big epiphany for me because I had really thought this is the way that behavior analysts make their decisions. But what I realized is that that's not really how behavior analysts make their decisions. And so I wanted to find out, well, how do they? And what I realized is what they do is they make their decisions based on the function of the behavior. And so that they don't go through a, you know, first I do this, then I do this, then I do this. They go, well, what's the function of the behavior? <laughs> and in this case, in all these cases of where I'm using the constructional approach and using a negative reinforcement contingency, we're seeing that the function is the animal wants an aversive to go away. So it doesn't make sense for me to say, well, I'm going to give food to the animal because that's not what the animal wants. The animal wants some distance here. And so that's what I need to provide. And so that's why, you know, as good intentioned as maybe a hierarchy might be, it, it really doesn't make sense as an intervention strategy because I'm ignoring all the flashing lights <laughs> that are saying, this is not what the animal wants. The animal just wants this thing to go away. So, so the problem with, you know, coming at a behavior problem from, um, from a first do, you know, this and then do this and then do this and then do this is that I'm really not addressing the needs of the animal. And I'm actually creating delays to the proper intervention, which could create more problems. And, you know, in that meantime, the animals, you know, potentially getting more reinforcement history for the undesired behavior, as opposed to me putting a laser beam on what the problem is and giving the exact intervention that it needs. So what I'm doing when I'm, when I'm saying, okay, I see what that problem is and it's all about removing an aversive stimulus, then I'm giving a function-based intervention and it's also really in individualized. Yeah. And, um, and so to me, that's why it's, it's so important when we are doing interventions that we ask these questions as opposed to, you know, perhaps following 
what seems like an easy recipe that's going to get us there, but it's, it's, it's really not providing our animals with what they need. And so that's, that's why, you know, for me, that's not the, the type of intervention that, or strategy I use to, to create an intervention. That's beautiful. And, and there is really the negative reinforcement, the way that it depicted has, you know, like, like I, oh, I, I hear you. I was like that. I, I was in the same journey. Negative reinforcement is bad. And it's really through Orca and then talking with Joe and, and Sean that negative reinforcement, the way that I saw is like a people will apply a new aversive stimulus and then make the horse do something and then release that pressure. So I came from the horse world. So for me, when people say, oh, I use negative reinforcement, it's called construction aggression treatment. I was like, no, please don't apply new, you know, aversive. But as me learning construction approach and looking at the video, they are using the aversive stimulus that is already in their life. And then they are, they are presenting it so that they can do, like you said, easy behavior to make it go away. So they have total control over their own situation, which they have not. Well, they have it but by doing aggressive behavior, but not with desirable, easy, low-cost behavior. When I had that, like, aha moment, I was like, oh, this, this, th- that was a switch over for me. So <laughs> I know, it's like we're, there's a... There's a big nuance of negative reinforcement in construction approaches. Like we are not applying aversive stimulus like we created as a human. We're using the aversive stimulus. It's already in their life for like 10 years or five years. And we are making them control over it. And then through that, they will come after and then they will switch over to positive reinforcement contingency and yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. You know, Sorry, and, I got passionate. And, and that can- <laughs> And that control point that you bring up, Masa, is is to me like one of the really, really big valuable things to, to come away with through the constructional aggression treatment. And uh, Dr. Rosales Ruiz talks about control and how important it is all the time. And that's also actually something that I've heard Susan Friedman talk about quite a bit, where control is something that she actually considers to be a primary reinforcer. And so this is actually something that is directly delivered to the organisms that we're working with with, through constructional aggression treatment is control over their environment and control over that aversive stimuli. That way they can tell us at the point where they're they're comfortable with these things and starting to approach it and we can start to then introduce these positive reinforcement contingencies. I think another thing that, you know, uh, might be a challenge for some animal trainers that they might want to start thinking about is that when we say the word negative reinforcement or even positive reinforcement, Mm -hmm. sometimes the image is just sort of one thing. Mm. But when we talk about a procedure um, that involves negative reinforcement or a procedure that involves positive reinforcement, they, that there's millions of procedures that involve Mm negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement. And, and in truth, procedures can involve many different things. You know, you may be using, um, you know, positive reinforcement and extinction. You may be using, um, 
you know, response blocking, you may, you know, there's a million different procedures look vastly different. And then the way that negative reinforcement is applied in the constructional approach can look vastly different than the way negative reinforcement is applied when somebody is talking about, you know, some traditional thing that you might've seen on the dog whisperer or something like that. Yeah. You know, so, so I think that one of the challenges is, is that people need to really get into these extreme details when you're talking about a procedure so that it's really, really clear that we are on the same page when we're just describing a procedure. And I think, unfortunately, you know, that's one of the challenges when we try to, you know, simplify it and just say, oh, it's positive reinforcement. You know, and I think as we all um, have seen from Joe Lang's presentation, you know, that even positive reinforcement can be coercive. I know. (laughs) Uh, And I think, um, uh, you know, and again, you know, this this is one of the things that I was talking about when I was saying I don't want an animal that's, got this body language that's saying, yeah, I want your treat, but everything in my body language is saying I'm recoiling away or like if they grab it and go, you know, that to me is also an indicator that, well, sure, maybe I positively reinforce that behavior, but everything in your body language is screaming, I don't want to participate. That to me is not a procedure that looks very good, (laughs) you know? So, so I, cause I, you know, anybody just, just look on any social media and see all the videos that people post. And if you were to evaluate those, even those positive reinforcement procedures, you may feel very differently about one procedure versus the next, just by looking at the body language of the animal, ask yourself, does that look coercive or does that look like an animal that's voluntarily participating based on the body language of the animal, even though it's quote positive reinforcement. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this marks the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you enjoy the part one of our interview with Barbara Heinrich. If you're interested in learning more about Barbara's work, you can go to her website at www.animaltrainingfundamentals.com. We will also put our affiliate link in the description below. There, you can become a member of her virtual learning program and learn about her work using constructional approach in many different zoos. And if you're interested in watching the presentation videos at the second annual cow conference, including the one Barbara mentioned by Dr. TV Joe Lane, please visit our website at cout.com forward slash 2021 conference. In our next episode, Barbara will be sharing with us her application of construction approach with the animals and staff she has worked with. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast or share it with your friend. And feel free to get more information or reach out to us on our website, cout.com, or our Facebook page, Construction Approach to Animal Welfare and Training, Instagram at NPO underbar C-A-A-W-T, or you can always email us at C-A-A-W-T at gmail.com. Thank you so much today. We are your host. I am Masa. And I am Sean. Have a wonderful day with your amazing animal companions.